This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the table where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, cultural engagement manager here at the Hendricks Center. And our topic on the show today is lessons from Egypt. We're going to hear a pretty interesting story today and see what it's like to meet with Egyptian leaders in the church and find out what Christians need to know about Islam and Christianity in Egypt today. And we have two guests in studio today. My first guest is Dr. Daryl Bach, Executive Director of Cultural Engagement and Senior Research Professor of New Testament here at DTS. Welcome, Daryl. Pleasure to be here. So happy to have you and Mark here. We've been trying to get you guys in the same place it at the same time. It took a while, time. didn't it? <laughs> That's, That's right. right. <laughs> Only time we see each other is when we're off campus. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And the second so true. guest in studio is Mark mm-hmm. Yarbrough, who is the VP of Academic Affairs, teaches in the BE department here at Dallas Theological Seminary, and is president-elect of Dallas Theological Seminary. So glad to have you on the show. Always happy to be here. Well, you guys went on a pretty uh, unique trip uh, a while back to Egypt, and you were there for the opening of the largest church in uh, the Middle East. And tell us how that trip came about, Mark. Well, we have a, uh, a mutual friend. His name is Joel Rosenberg, and that is a name that I know is familiar to all sorts of people for all sorts of reasons, to be perfectly honest. Some folks have uh, read his plethora of wonderful novels. He mm-hmm. is uh, just an exquisite writer. Uh, he is also a uh, strong believer, of course, and uh, has a heartbeat for the Middle East, uh, for all people. And the Lord has placed Joel in some very unique uh, moments in history, um, working in political consultation uh, with a variety of countries. And his, it's safe to say that even his writing has uh, led to many invitations with political figures because of his writing style and some of the characters that he uh, designs and portrays. He, he, his writing is right out of real life and what is happening in uh, the, uh, the Middle East right now. And so he uh, had a very unique invitation that came from uh, the president of Egypt, hmm. uh, President el-Sisi, uh, his technical name, I suppose, is President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, but most people reference him as President el-Sisi. Hmm. That invitation came because of the dedication, actually, of a Christian church and a mosque that was being built by the government with some surrounding funds that were also uh, came from individuals. But in many ways, as it relates to our topic, he uh, the president was making a pledge, a very public 
and possibly even dangerous pledge to the Christians in Egypt. Hmm. And so Joel had an opportunity to bring together 10 or 12 individuals uh, to participate and kind of in many ways represent Western evangelicalism hmm. and to go there for that celebration. Farrell, you want to kind of add to that of, yeah, of that invitation we received? It's part of a longer sequence of meetings that Joel's been a part of that have involved many countries. For several years, uh, in, by the for way. For several right? years in the Middle East. Um, Joel is a Messianic believer who has moved to Israel, uh, now lives there. Well, he actually yeah. – <laughs> talk about a commute. <laughs> he commutes from Israel to the United States on a regular basis and has been involved in several of these discussions in several countries. But the one in Egypt was particularly significant because it represented a response to a bombing uh, of hmm. uh, Coptic churches in Egypt and uh, was his way of signaling that he wanted a different kind of nation. Hmm. And so we went as a delegation and were involved in several meetings, um, including with uh, Pope Twadras II, who is um, the leader of the Coptic Church. The mm -hmm. major denomination in Egypt is Coptic. It, um, Christians make up about 10 percent of the population there. Mm -hmm. Muslims make up the remaining 90 percent, so they're definitely a minority. And then we also met with the leader of the Protestant churches at the same time – well, in separate meetings, but during the same trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, this took place in, in January of this year, 2019. And, uh, and we were there for what, four, I guess three or four days, um, in and out of these meetings, attending these dedication ceremonies. We went to the dedication ceremony both at the Christian church and at the mosque because they're located in Cairo's building a new administrative or governmental district. That's mm -hmm. actually what was going on. And they placed these two uh, centers of worship in the new administrative district. Um, uh, the UAE is actually in the process of doing something similar. Putting a, and the UAE is going to. The plan is to have a mosque, a church, and a synagogue all in the same hmm. basic area hmm. uh, to 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 try and portray. And this is the case in some uh, Muslim context to try and portray at least an attempt to have these three historic faiths be able to function side by side with one another in the national context of the particular nation in question. Mm -hmm. So that's the backdrop for what's going on Okay. Here. And so the celebration so, that we were at uh, was the dedication of these two buildings uh, in response to, as you said, uh, Daryl, the, the bombing. It occurred in terms of uh, January 6, which is the, the Coptic uh, Christmas date, so mm -hmm. Daryl and I had an opportunity to have two Christmases. It was great. Okay. We celebrated one here, and, and it was so. It was we we joked. It, there was some level for us personally, some wonderful comedy. We got on the plane and we're flying over there, and Christmas music is still playing mm -hmm. because Christmas is celebrated by many many people, not just Christians. Mm -hmm. In Egypt, I mean, it permeated the airports. The yeah, I mean, everything that commerce and trade is all about Christmas, even in Egypt. Yeah, so we, were, we were on a tra we you know to fly over there. We had to um, transfer. I guess I think we were transferred from Rome, and we got on this Italian flight into Egypt. And and uh, there are a lot, lot of things that were funny about that. We were told well, the ticket said first class. It was it was coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Guido got a hold of the tickets or what, but anyway, and then. Uh, and then this Christmas community comes over, and Mark and I are looking at one another, going, 
it's January. What's that going? And all of a sudden, it dawned on us, yeah, right. you know, that it's the Eastern calendar, mm-hmm. and because it's the Eastern calendar, so you get off the plane. There's this huge Christmas tree in the airport. Um, there's just something bizarre about listening to Perry Como in Egypt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so so it, uh, this, this, the entire trip was a the, and this is actually one of the reasons we're sharing this. So the entire trip was an entire cross cultural experience mm-hmm. in, in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to visit uh, the pyramids, which was stunning. Which they were, they're just stunning. It's to think about how long they've been sitting there. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, well, the thought of just that Moses saw these pyramids exactly. Is yeah. it, that that gives a reality check for exactly us. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and then we went to the um, Egyptian Museum, which is one of the most famous antiquity sites in the world. They're actually in the process of building a new a new Egyptian a new yeah. Egyptian antiquities building that will be it's going to be stunning. Yeah, yeah fabulous yes. when wow. it's done. So so that 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 means we're going back to Cairo at some point. But anyway, it was a fascinating trip uh, and um, very very. Surprising and eye-opening at the same mm-hmm. time. I mean, that's the thing that that I think struck both of us was the nature of the experience as a whole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you met with the president of Egypt. You met with the leader of the Coptic Church there, and then you also met with the president of the Protestant uh, group there. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we didn't actually formally meet with the president. We were supposed to, but that didn't end up working out. We did attend all the events that were involved, and in fact, did so in such a way. That when we went in to dedicate one of the buildings, I can't remember now. I think it was the dedication of the mosque. I literally was as close to the president as Mark is to me. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, we, were, we were all the delegation was all brought together and brought to the to to the front so we could see everything, um, you know, very very directly. And as he went into the mosque, we were literally the group uh, around. Where the president was, wow. yeah, we were able to greet him, but we did not uh, have a sit down with him. Yeah. Joel has had that on uh, two other occasions. That's right, mm-hmm. uh, where he has been invited to uh, participate. Also, had a very interesting discussion at that same moment with the general that is uh, the highest ranking um, official in that regard, and uh, he was very appreciative of an evangelical group uh, being present because of what they are attempting to accomplish in regard to peace and respect in the nation. So it was a very uh, – it wasn't just symbolic. It, 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 uh, it represented many different things for President Al-Sisi mm-hmm. of his leadership mm-hmm. For the people in the nation, and this was supposed to be a Christmas gift of his to the Christians. Is that yes. right? correct? Yeah. Yes. It, once these bombings took place, and they devised this way of dealing with it and putting it in the administrative district, which is symbolic. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's, yeah. that's part of what's going on here. Um, uh, they went about, uh, you know, they raised the money, designed the designed the buildings, and did it all in eighteen months. Wow. Uh, and. Uh, you know, it, it in Egypt's not an easy place. I mean, the 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 choice to do this in this way, uh, in the face of uh, in the attitude of some, is um, something that that is to be fought. And mm-hmm. so, um, one of the things that's became very clear is how uh, tenuous um, all these moves are when they're undertaken. Right, and. Uh, you know, we sometimes in the in the in the West uh, hear all kinds of things about the nature of the oppression coming from the government in, in these countries, but 
there is a real, I mean, tooth and nail, life and death struggle going on for who owns the heart of the country, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that's just part of the reality. That's part of the eye. That was part of the eye opening part of it. The irony of this visit was, at the very same time that all this was going on in Egypt, on sixty minutes here in the states, a special was being aired that focused on President Al Sisi. But what they concentrated on was. Um, the nature of the way his security state works to kind of protect his interests, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, uh, and and as a result, when, what we were told, what we were asked to do by the leaders is to go back and tell the story of what is going on in Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, which is why we're doing this right. in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, to, and to tell the part of the story that people normally don't get to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what we were doing. And so several of us on the return uh, wrote pieces for a variety of news outlets. I did one for the Dallas Morning News, uh, reporting on what we had seen. And in my case, I juxtaposed what you were hearing on 60 Minutes about Egypt, which is it wasn't that it was untrue, it's mm-hmm. just part of the story, mm-hmm. and then what we had seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, put those next to one another, which shows the complexity of aspects of the social and political realities yeah. in the Middle mm-hmm. East. I was going to say, in all fairness, we saw a snapshot um, in a three or four day window, mm-hmm. but it did open up a, a, a door for us to see the complexity of what President El Sisi has to deal with. I mean, so realize when we are in these moments, uh, we had heavy security. Mm-hmm. Uh, there had been a bombing uh, the day before we arrived, hmm. um, just down the road from where we stayed. Mm-hmm. We never felt at risk, um, but there is a complexity in the culture because of a an age-old clash of religious systems. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a president that is making a public pledge to protect all people, that has to stand for something. And so in many of the discussions that we were with, when they were saying, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a conservative group in both sides that longs to, mm-hmm. again, protect people and protect citizens and to treat all people fairly mm-hmm. um, and to honor, if I can phrase it this way, human dignity, mm-hmm. um, that was also one of the tensions because in the midst of this investment that the president is doing, and obviously he is his background is of a military leader, so that's mm. part of the sixty minutes right. piece mm-hmm. as well. Obviously, there's there is strong human suffering in Egypt, and so on that perspective, how do you deal with so many things all at the same mm-hmm. time to accomplish the greater good? Mm-hmm. And I think we all walked away. Our contingency walked away with a great appreciation. And, and to be honest, even a desire to pray for someone like that that is in a position of leadership, that's very biblical, right? Mm-hmm. Even if we disagree yeah. with their religious convictions, to pray for individuals that are in positions of significant influence of clearly which he has won, and it makes our political problems in the U.S. look like a cakewalk Hmm. compared to the long history Mm -hmm. and the baggage that he himself as a leader has inherited with such divisiveness. I mean, when you look at the history of Egypt and and what has come out of that as the the seedbed in many ways for jihadism that was expressed in lots of different countries Mm -hmm. at different points throughout history, for him to try to come with a different model is... uh, 
he has quite a task in front mm-hmm. of him. Yeah, and so. the, one of the things that stood out is this 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 ceremony was an all day event for us. Um, oh, was it all day? Yeah, <laughs> it was it, all day. It, it, I mean, we gathered together and 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 you know we're taken from place to place. But one of the things is that I, I think struck all of us as we were getting into the administrative district, which is brand brand new. I mean. Literally, I mean, it's not finished yet. It's what about 30, 45 miles east. Yeah, of, it's a good forty-five of Cairo, drive. Right. And right. so, but what you saw is that you almost—it's almost like entering into a military encampment in some ways. And and there are, you know, you sit there and say, well, Egypt isn't at war with anybody, but there are tanks along the way right. that mm. you're driving towards this site and that kind to protect, mm-hmm. um, because because the. The threat of of something violent happening as a result of the symbolism that was represented was was significant. The film that they showed um, uh, as part of the event, we the what happened is they dedicated the church first and then the mosque, and but they gathered us in a huge auditorium. I don't know how many people were were there total. Maybe a few thousand, maybe? several couple thousand at yeah. least. Right. Um, Anyway, um, they did this film, and this film was about uh, e- uh, New Egypt trying to live in some level of harmony together. Right. Was basically the thrust of the film, mm-hmm. and they had, you know, it was they had their uh, they had their key entertainers. We didn't know who any of these people were, but they, some of the some of the pop stars in Egypt mm-hmm. were there. Uh, it was a big deal. Everybody knew who they were. They had been on television and on radio, and that's who they used to try to voice this message mm-hmm. to the public. And mm-hmm. it was so controversial that uh, only certain Arab leaders showed up hmm. with the event because other Arab leaders didn't necessarily want to be identified with mm-hmm. what, was, what that's represented. A, that's a huge issue. Yeah. That, that alone tells you of this division mm-hmm. in many Muslim countries of those that would come to participate to see what is attempting to be done here, a message point that is being made, and those that would stand against that. That was fascinating. Mm-hmm. So so this opens up really um, uh, another feature uh, – well, we, there's one other element of this that's important to the story before we transition to Islam as a whole. Um, and that is, we, we in the meetings that we had with both the Leader of the Coptic Church and the Protestant churches. The message they we had an all-day meeting at one point with uh, the Protestant leaders, all gathered around a table. I think there were probably sixty or seventy people right. in the room total, uh, and uh, having a conversation about what was going on in Egypt, et cetera. And they had they had two things they wanted to say to us. One is, when you go home, please tell the story of what is going on here. And the second message was. Things are much better for us as Christians now than they have been in Egypt for a long time. That was crystal clear. They couldn't have said that, that right. any louder. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, and and even though there's violence in some of the regions in Egypt uh, related to the Christian Church, that's a matter of just uh, administrative realities in different parts of Egypt where different segments of of the Islamic community have control of different geographic areas. Mm-hmm. Some some areas are inherently more violent than the other because the government doesn't have the the power yet to to oversee everything that's going on across the whole of the country. So um, 
So there, so there's that element that's that's a part of the complexity as well. But they were very, very clear that that um, you know, you know, if we say the name, at least some of us have been alive long enough. Anwar Sadat, you know, most people mm-hmm. think right. uh, think of him with with um, some respect because of his moves towards Israel. But um, they said, you know, uh, this is as best it's been since before Anwar Sadat. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this is. This was a significant thing as far as they were concerned. To just come back around to your numbers for us to think about that of 90% Muslim, 10% would identify as Christians. In that 10%, roughly speaking, 85% of those would identify with the Coptic Church. Mm -hmm. The remaining 1.5%, if you will, would be divided between Catholics and Evangelicals. The Protestant uh, would they would use that term of evangelical churches in this group that we met with are very influential leaders. Uh, these are not um, they're not hidden in the background. They're very public figures, many that are serving in strategic positions of office that we met. And so there is a growing, um, not just in regard to the role of the church, but the positioning of even evangelical leaders, within governmental structures. Hmm. Uh, that is something else that we saw that that part – I'm following up on what you're mm-hmm. saying, that it's probably better than it's ever been mm-hmm. for that generation. To see Christians that are in strategic positions interacting with other folks was something that was – they wanted us to be able to tell that story. And getting able mm-hmm. to uh, – yeah. being able to meet with these governmental leaders yeah. at the same time and, 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 and so that there's a conversation going on. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. There's another thing that's significant, and I'll let Mark tell this story because this deals with the leader of the Coptic Church mm-hmm. and the heart of the leader. Um, because you know, one of the things that happens when you make these trips is you meet someone and they're connected to a denomination. It's a denomination you're not very familiar with. I mean, it, that was my first exposure to the Coptic Church. We were all reading up on our Coptic <laughs> theology. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so so you walk into these meetings and you go, you don't know what to expect. Um, and the discussion opens up, and here's what concerned the leader. Mark, I'll let you tell yeah, that story. Yeah, you bet. It was, a, it was a fascinating meeting, and maybe we'll be able to uh, embed some pictures along the way as we're yeah. talking about this. Uh, so meeting with Pope Tadros, that is his, mm-hmm. his name, Pope Tadros II, yeah. to be very specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he, is a, he is a very compassionate man. Um, once you get beyond what most of us in our evangelical roots that are in this group, in terms of his dress and his garb and an entourage that it's enters with him, it is with a church. big yeah. deal. And yeah. obviously, yeah. we learned an awful lot about the Coptic language of going to a Coptic Mass. That yeah. was an event in the evening. Um, 
one of the things that he said, which was very uh, powerful, it really was, um, he was very appreciative of our visit. You could certainly tell the relationship that he has between the uh, the Protestant leader that we spent time. They are very, very good friends, mm-hmm. have great admiration and respect for one another in terms of their position of leadership. But one of the things that – of all the things that we could have talked about, we didn't spend an awful lot of time talking about the dedication of the Cathedral of the Nativity, which mm-hmm. is the name of the church that was dedicated. Uh, we didn't talk about um, President El Sisi. Mm-hmm. He wanted to talk about the children. And it was – I'll never forget this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a shift as we were all mm-hmm. asking our questions. We mm-hmm. could all kind of ask a question just going down the line, and he would respond. And you could tell his heartbeat. He wanted to talk about the valuable role of Sunday school. Mm-hmm. In the church, wow. concerned about biblical teaching in the church, and he the education—that's what he kept mm, referencing yeah. mm. it as of Sunday school as an opportunity to educate the generation coming up. So he wanted to talk about what we're doing, what we see, the role mm. of Christian education plays, and how to prepare another generation. Well, you know, you're talking to two guys that whether it's graduate school or whether it's K through 12, that's part of our heartbeat, right? That's yeah. what we all do sitting mm-hmm. right here at this table. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be involved in that educational process to teach people about Jesus. Yeah. And uh, he talked about some things that they're doing. He made reference to VBS. Uh, it was almost a discussion of something that uh, many of us are familiar with, something like Awanas or something like that mm-hmm. for kids. He talked about a, a process of that. He showed us a curriculum that he'd had a team writing on. Mm. I mean, you could tell he lit up when it came to how do we equip the next generation of believers in Jesus to know him better and wow. to know his word. I mean, it was and very think encouraging. think about that in a context where there's been so much persecution oh and goodness. so much suffering. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was uh, very, very impressive. And it, it and, and the, and the process meeting was very, very similar in terms of, um, you know, one of the challenges, one of the things that's changing is that in order to worship in Egypt, you've got to be able to have churches that are appointed and recognized. Um, I mean, that worship has been going on, but but really to have it be protected and safe and that kind of thing, the government's got to re- – well, the government's in the process of recognizing right. uh, hundreds of churches in Egypt in, right now, that, and before that was not happening. Mm-hmm. And so – um, just another sign of the indications of change that are coming uh, in the country where there's an effort to try and recognize and protect um, the Christian presence. Now, there's one other thing about the Middle East that, that needs to be said, and that is their view of religious liberty is not our view of religious liberty. Um, and what I mean by that is for them, religious liberty is if you are born a Christian, then you have the right to worship as a Christian. That that's acceptable and, and in the in the highest and acceptable form, uh, generally speaking, in the Middle East. If that's recognized, that's what it means. But what you're not allowed to do, and this is how it's different than the West, what you're not allowed to do is to proselytize or to bring someone over. You, you can't. The, the effort to try and move someone from being a Muslim to a Christian is not allowed. I mean, mm-hmm. it's against the law. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so one of the issues that that we face globally in talking about Christianity and Islam is this very different view of religious liberty. Now there actually are discussions going on between Muslims and Christians about this uh, in, in 
Um, that, that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother discussion. But there has been a, a 10-year process. We actually have some graduates of ours who are involved in these conversations. And uh, I'm just back from Yale, in which I'm getting updated on some of what was going on. And uh, and so, but the, but this is a cultural gap hmm. um, that um, that is discussed and debated. Um, as um, the issue of religious liberty comes up mm-hmm. in, in the Middle East. So it's important to understand that that culture is not our culture. Yeah. It's very, very different. Um, and and bridging some of these gaps are not are not are not easy conversations. Mm-hmm. Daryl, wouldn't you say that when you're you're thinking about you're using some precise language of religious liberty right. and what we're seeing in, if I can phrase it this way, some uh, countries like Egypt, and we could probably list some other Muslim countries that are in in that same vein, in that Correct. same line. That religious protection is what is primarily being discussed when we think of it from a Western evangelical uh, proselytization mm-hmm. concept. That's a whole different topic. So even when we start using the language of being born into a faith, most right. of us are not fully comfortable with that language, even though we understand what it means. They're talking about just a baseline level of protection of individuals in giving rights and privileges for certain groups to worship under the protection of the law. Because mm-hmm. the environment otherwise That's might right. be hostile. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the, it does beg a second-level question, which mm-hmm. I'm with you. That's a whole yeah. other yeah. topic, uh, especially in Muslim countries, because when you are seeing strong levels in other places of persecution, which has clearly been part of Egypt's past, which mm-hmm. is still part of Egypt's present, yeah. is that how then can you have in, in that model an appropriate dialogue about faith? We think of just walking down and knocking on a door and sharing your faith openly because that's what we're familiar with here, right? Have an opportunity to share a cup of coffee with somebody at McDonald's and, you know, they may go shield up and tell you to get out of their booth. Yeah. Uh, but if they're open, you can have that very public dialogue. Where do you do that in an environment where it says sharing your faith publicly is taboo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's whole other whole, dialogue. That's exactly right. But in that context, there are some fascinating discussions because of this level of persecution that is happening in other places. I've, we've we both have friends whose name will not be mentioned here right. in this discussion. But looking at at Syrian refugees mm-hmm. that are fleeing mm-hmm. and in different kinds of words that are being used today by individuals that are out of a Muslim background saying that they're now atheists. Hmm. Okay, they, they do not mean that they're atheists in the sense that we would think of atheism. They're using that language of saying, if this form of human persecution is part of our faith, we want nothing to do with it. Hmm. That is happening more and more in certain countries where there is strong human persecution. Hmm. Now, that, that, that sets up a transition, of, uh, but, uh, but there's one other point to be made here, and that is one of the issues that comes up is, is, is the right to conscience, and the right to conscience in different cultural contexts is seen in different ways. Yeah. And so that actually becomes part of the conversation. When you have a conversation with someone who's of a Muslim background, living in a Muslim country, uh, used to a Muslim culture, just stack all those things on top of one another, and you say to them, you need to allow people to share their faith, their response is, 
that's not our culture, that's not our context, that's not our conscience. Mm -hmm. And so you can see how difficult that kind of a conversation would be because it really is a culture changer sure in, a, in a significant way. So, um, but those discussions are, are happening mm -hmm. in some places, which is interesting. Um, and it's happening in some pockets of the Muslim world. The other thing that, that reinforces what Mark just said is there is a huge Christian – revival is not the right – may not be the right word. There's a huge Christian growth happening in places like Iran right. through broadcasts that come into the country. Um, uh, I know of one ministry called Iran Alive. In fact, we've um, we've interviewed their leader on the podcast, who says that by their estimates, there are six million people who watch his show daily. Hmm. I mean that six million. Six million. I mean that's not a that's that's not chump <laughs> change. So um, very very significant. But you can mm -hmm. see how that fits strategically uh, in a culture that says don't share relationally, right. but the dissemination of information, mm -hmm. it, that's like a book, that's like a television broadcast. Mm -hmm. yeah. And mm -hmm. so uh, some very mutual friends that we all have um, are, are intimately involved in the proclamation of the gospel utilizing the airwaves, and it is having some stunning effects. Yeah. So, so the, the part of the point of this is to say that the engagement with Islam in the Middle East is a much more complex operation in reality than most people are aware of. You know, and some people, when they hear the word Islam, all they can think of are terrorists. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the reality is, is that Islam itself is much more complex than that. The analogy I like to make is, if you walk down the street anywhere in the United States and you use the word Christian, okay, think about the varieties that you might run into. You bet. You know, you've got a spectrum of what that might mean to certain people. And especially people. today versus 50 years ago, it, can you imagine what that would be the same topic exactly with right. Islam? Yeah. And, and, and so you, you say Islam in the Middle East you've got the same kind of varieties that you're dealing with. And, uh, and that introduces um, realities and complexities that people mm -hmm. have to interact with as they think about that region of the world. And, mm -hmm. and also think about with, with globalization. So I was just reading this, this Pew report on Islam, as a matter of fact, and it was just talking about some of the same variations that we see with generational moves here in the U.S. as it relates to Christianity and faith. It's the same issue at some level. You're watching uh, older generations and their commitment and their level of understanding of the Quran. Younger generations are wrestling with that. Mm -hmm. They're not as attached. They're, they're getting information from other cultures. Um, so there are very interesting things that are happening within various countries, even based upon their uh, their technological attachment to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. See, one of the things that's happening, and this is a, this is a, yet another yeah, topic right. for discussion, is with the opening up of uh, of technology, the way in which 
information gets shared. A line I like to use is the world is both bigger and smaller simultaneously. Mm -hmm. There are Mm -hmm. more of us, but we're also more tightly connected. And because of that, information exchange is, is generally speaking, more open. Now, some countries try and control this because of the forces that it unleashes. But, but everybody is exposed to things in a multicultural way that, generally speaking, even a generation or two ago wasn't happening. Most cultures were much more monoculturally structured mm-hmm. than they are now. So everybody across the world is having to deal with, cope with various forms of pluralism. Right. Uh, and that's impacting – because there are more choices out there, more of what people are aware of, that's impacting the way people process what's going on around them. Because, because the, if I can say it this way, the default isn't necessarily a default anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that default shifts depending on what culture you're in. So um, it, uh, if you've heard me use the word complex this discussion, this is why. Mm-hmm. And everybody's having to cope with this. The church is having to cope with this. The church in the West is having to cope with this. Islam's having to cope with this. Judaism's having to cope with this. Right. You know, uh, the Asia's having to cope with this. Everybody is, is coping with it. And one of the pushbacks that you see is people saying, I know my world and my culture, and that's where I'm staying. And I don't mm-hmm. want this. I I don't want what I feel like is an incursion into my world. Mm-hmm. That's the way some people are reacting. Other people are going. There's no. You can't stop it. So how do you deal with it? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and those are the two core reactions that we're seeing to what's going on around us. There's a lot of important, for lack of a better description, sociology going on mm-hmm. in our world that tends to. That definitely impacts us, but we tend to not think about it because it almost operates underground. Mm-hmm. And that's important for us as believers, exactly. obviously. To you know, when we start thinking, and how many times, Daryl, have we had this discussion? Okay, we've had this talk before of of you know, we're called to be ambassadors, right? Mm-hmm. We're salt and light. All of the wonderful, beautiful metaphors that show up and are used in Scripture to talk about what does it mean to be a believer rubbing shoulders with other individuals that are not believers. And that's now the culture in which we live, even here in the U.S. And so it's a great reminder for all of us to um, remember who it is that we represent mm-hmm. in the midst of all that. And I think that was that was a reminder to me personally, even in this trip and as we began to think and process, we processed in the plane all the way home mm-hmm. of how do you even wrap around this? I am no, um, as you can even hear in this discussion, I'm not an expert in Islam. I, I, I am not an individual that has mastered Muslim theology and how to best engage and talk. But I can see where it's very important for me as a believer in Jesus Christ to be able to connect with another human being to appreciate who they are and the world in which they've come out of. It's not my culture, Mm -hmm. but I have an opportunity to reflect the Savior even in my care and compassion and appreciation for who they are as another human being. And another thing that we certainly got a glimpse of was is the global nature of the church. I mean, mean, you, you walk into these rooms, these are people that you've Never seen or met before. That's they don't. Right. In, in many cases, they, if they speak your language, they barely speak your language, and vice versa. And, and yet, there is this connection that you have with them, and the war right. that 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 takes place. 
and in the midst of your conversations and then we were you know we went to we went to a christmas service to get christmas service in january together mm-hmm. uh, you know and uh, uh and worshiped at a at a one of the more central important churches in the in the country um and it was it was just a very as i said eye-opening time in it was a ways. privilege wasn't yeah, it, it to was. worship with yep. other brothers and sisters in christ uh in their land in their way, in their language, learning to sing their songs. Yeah. And, you know, it. You use that phrase of what a cross-cultural experience yeah. it was, and we've all had those moments. But it's every time I'm in one of those environments, I am reminded again of every tongue, every tribe, hmm. every language, every mm-hmm. people. What a privilege it is to be a child of God and to know that we have brothers and sisters. I like using that family language because mm-hmm. the New Testament uses it on purpose yeah. to remind ourselves that uh, we have one Father, we have one Savior, we have one Spirit that binds us together. And it was a it was a great, beautiful Christmas celebration on the other side of the world. Hmm. Talk to us a little bit about the difference in, in terms of the Muslims that, that uh, we see in Egypt um, versus Muslims outside of Egypt. Egypt in terms of uh, do do Sunnis and Shiites accept each other in in Egypt? How does that look outside of Egypt? You want to grab that yeah, one? That's me, a yes or no me, answer, let me, isn't let me, it? Let me, yeah. yeah, let me tell you a story. Um, several years ago, we hosted at the center at the request of the State Department a um, a touring group of Iraqi Muslim leaders. They were mm-hmm. here to look at religious liberty and how we do it here in the United States. Okay, so this is just, I mean, and we've already in some ways set up this conversation by what Ballpark, when was this? Just, this was, this, was uh, this has probably been four or five years ago. Years, okay. And so, um, and the way it worked is we hosted it, um, but the State Department also invited um, a, a member, well, the person who taught Islam at Perkins uh, Theological Center. That already tells you it's an unusual event. The, uh, right. And, and so, so they brought in, you know, in their minds what was the Dallas religious community. And we hosted it and, uh, with translators and everything. And we're having this conversation about religious liberty, and they're asking about our worship and all that kind of stuff. And it's just walking through the various – and we're asking them questions about Islam. And then ISIS came up. And when ISIS came up, the blood pressure, almost in unison, like a chorus, hmm. changed on all our visitors. And the, and the one message they wanted to send to, to us was, mm-hmm. that's not Islam as far as we're concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could not have been more clear about their absolute desire not to be identified with that. And uh, that actually, for me, I, I view that as one of the most important meetings I've ever been in because what it what it made very very clear to me, and it started me thinking about this, was uh, when I hear the word Islam, or when I meet a Muslim, um, I need to not have a stereotype about a singular stereotype mm-hmm. about what that means. Mm-hmm. Because I literally could be in all kinds of different places. And then the more I've worked with this and studied this, as I've traveled, I've been to Indonesia and I've been to, um, you know, I've been to many countries where, where Muslim presence exists and in a few cases where it's been the majority. And 
for example, Jordan is yeah. an interesting place. Um, Jordan does a lot of stuff that attempts to cooperate with the Christian presence in the country. It's not, it's not, it's not hostile, openly hostile to Christians. Um, uh, you know, Egypt is an example. The UAE is going in this direction right. as right. well. Um, but there are other places where to be a Christian is to be at risk. Mm -hmm. And so you've got this spectrum yeah. uh, that you're dealing with. And, and so I think it's important for people to understand when, the, when they hear about Islam uh, of, under, uh, of getting some sense of the fact that, that different Muslims react to different things in different ways. The other time when this hit me um, in major way is we did a tour of Turkey. This would have been back in 2003 or four. And uh, we spent three weeks in Turkey, and we go to Istanbul. It's just my wife and I. Yeah, it's one of those sabbatical experiences. Mm -hmm. So thank you. And uh, um, and and you literally, there are parts of Istanbul that you're in, and you go, I could be in Europe. That's right. I mean, you would have no clue you were in an Islamic and country. Then, and then there are other parts of. Then there are other parts. Mm -hmm. right. And as we traveled east. Further east into Turkey, we ended up in um, we ended up in Konya. Uh, Konya is oh, all these all these uh, Turkish towns have second names that don't match their biblical location. But Konya is um, oh I, I can't remember the biblical equivalent. But anyway, it's it, it's in the interior, more in the interior. The further east you got, the more explicitly Muslim the country mm. became. So much so that when we were in this this town in Konya, all the women were completely veiled. Mm -hmm. uh, it spooked my wife. I mean, she hmm. just she didn't feel comfortable going anywhere. Hmm. Uh, as a result, I mean, the, she wanted to be in the hotel and she wanted to be to the next town. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there's just this range mm -hmm. that's a part of uh, part of what it means to think about Muslims and Islam. Some Muslims are are. You have secular Jews. You have mm -hmm. secular Christians. Right. You have secular Muslims. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, and and then others are very very devout. Devout. I, we were in a taxi uh, in Turkey at one point, and uh, the time for prayer came. Mm -hmm. So he pulled over. He pulled over. Pulled out his carpet. Had <laughs> yeah. his moment of prayer. Right. And we moved on. I don't even. I didn't remember if I watched it. The meter kept ticking. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting, you know. Some friends of ours that even in some of the discussions when we had there in Egypt, of it, roughly speaking, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but what forty-eight to fifty-two countries that would be referenced as Muslim nations. Um, there are those, and we're not. We wouldn't go on record of listing those. You mentioned a few yeah. that are very familiar. You mentioned the UAE and Jordan and Egypt. When you think of those that have a uh, a bent towards attempting to distance themselves from any form of religious persecution that comes out of Islam. Mm -hmm. And you're mm -hmm. starting to hear that. And so which nations are kind of really moving that direction versus others that are entrenching mm -hmm. uh, into that that perspective. So whatever language that you want to use of radical Islam or jihad or any form of, of again, human persecution that would come out of that religious ideology, there are certainly some countries that are rising to the top of saying what you're saying in that meeting from four years ago, saying, that has that's not that's, that's not, not us. us. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is not us, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you guys have made my job super easy today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. We got carried away, didn't we? We apologize. Well, the things that I was thinking of asking you, you guys were just going there. So it was, it was very helpful. Uh, but I think if, just to recap what we've talked about today, you guys went to see uh, the largest a dedication for the largest church in the Middle East that was a Christmas gift yes. from a Muslim president who comes from this militaristic background, yes. talked about the hope that we see in Egypt, and why, not just to think about the problems that we see, but, but not to, to miss the hope as we're telling that That's story, true. and then also to think about the idea of religious freedom <laughs> and how that is viewed um, in Egypt and how we see that. So that as we engage with our Muslim friends, neighbors, coworkers, that we're able to see them as human beings created in the image of God, not as a Muslim, quote unquote, and just kind of Amen. put that stereotype on it, right. um, but to really engage them as human beings and see um, the, the person that God has made them and connect with them as an ambassador of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. And thank you, Daryl. Pleasure. And we thank you so much for being with us on The Table podcast today. If you have a topic you'd like us to consider for a future episode, please email us at thetable at dts.edu. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, and I hope we'll see you again next week on The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.